Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode five of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I invited a very special guest onto the podcast to talk with us about stretching myths and stretching facts. Our guest's name is Greg Lehman, and we'll thoroughly introduce him to you in just a minute. But just know that his work has been a huge inspiration to Travis and myself for years, and we were so honored to get to talk to him on the podcast today. We think you're in for a huge treat in listening to this conversation. Some of the many topics we discuss in this episode are, what is stretching? What's the distinction between active and passive stretching, and does it really matter? How does stretching affect the tissues of the body in both the immediate short term and in the bigger picture long term? What's the relationship between stretching and injury prevention? What does research currently suggest about stretching right before an athletic activity? Does it hinder performance or not? Is the practice of yin yoga and long-held passive stretches in general safe? Should people with systemic connective tissue disorders, such as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, avoid stretching? Should flexibility be retired as a major component of physical fitness? And we cover so much more than just these points. I can't believe we crammed all of these excellent topics into one great podcast episode, but we did manage to. And we really think you'll enjoy all of these intriguing insights for yogis and movers. Also, please be advised that there's a relatively small amount of swearing in this specific episode of our podcast. Please feel free to skip listening to this episode if you'd rather not hear swear words. If you happen to be a member on my website, JennyRawlings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great, and you can just listen right here. But if you'd actually like to see Travis, Greg, and I talk face-to-face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to our episode today. We are here to talk about the science of stretching and about stretching myths. And Travis and I wanted to focus on this topic today because this is um, in the in the movement fitness world in general, but especially in the yoga world. It seems that opinions and feelings about stretching, they've kind of changed over time and things have shifted from everyone being super pro-stretching these days to being a little more maybe anti-stretching, specifically anti-passive stretching. There's quite a bit of fear-mongering out there in the yoga world. Some yoga teachers even even say that they've stopped teaching passive stretching, their beliefs that it's injurious, um, and just other fear-mongering ideas about stretching that are out there. So we kind of wanted to, within that context of knowing the lay of the land around stretching these days, take a closer look at like what 
what stretching really is, a little bit of the science behind stretching, and maybe some common myths that we have in our hands out there in the yoga movement and fitness worlds. And so in order to do that, Travis and I actually invited a very special guest on the podcast with us today, and uh, we get to welcome Greg Lehman to this discussion. And Greg is someone who both Travis and I have admired Greg and his work for a long time now, and I think I can safely say that we both consider him a, a really huge inspiration, him and his work, a huge inspiration to us. So for those of you who don't know who Greg is, Greg is a clinical educator, a physiotherapist, which in the U.S. we call that a physical therapist, uh, a strength and conditioning specialist, a chiropractor. He travels the world teaching his reconciling biomechanics with pain science course and his running resiliency course. And his work has had a profound impact on the therapeutic fitness and movement world. So we're really honored to have Greg with us here today. Thank you so much for being here, Greg. Sweet. Thanks for the kind words. That was a nice intro. I should have recorded. Well, you did record it. Never mind. I'm stealing it. <laughs> you can use that. It mm-hmm. <laughs> Script it. That's good. You're good at what you do. Gosh, well, thanks for saying that. Well, it's all true. <laughs> I mean, gosh, yeah. We're so happy to have you here. All right. So we wanted to start with a tweet that you had um brilliantly laid out a couple of weeks ago and i'm just going to read it to give the context and then uh, i'll give you a question related to it so what you said in the tweet was i'm just amazed about how much fear-mongering and movement pessimism there is around static stretching it's such a vanilla exercise it's like worrying about the right way to tie your shoelaces most of the concern comes from myths about what it actually does which isn't much So my first question, just to give some context for the listeners, is can you define static stretching? I know that's kind of a a, maybe a simple question, but um, specifically, like when you talk about static stretching or when you were referring to it in that tweet, were you thinking more about passive passive static stretching only or also like active static stretching with PNF types of things? Uh, Well, both, but I mean, most people think of it as pretty passive uh you know uh it's just where you go to end range and hold it you know so not adding contraction contractions of the agonist or the antagonist but i I, there's no real difference it's just stress at end range that's it (laughs) like what's active like if you say you do a leg raise and you pull your foot up you're lying on your back and you pull your leg up all the way is that active because your hip flexors are pulling you into it do you know what I mean? I would it's think still so. like passive for yeah, the hamstrings, but, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the hamstrings don't really know; they're just being pulled on. But if someone pushes mm-hmm. your leg, that would be passive. But you're probably helping them a little bit as well. Or if you if you drop your heels off a stair doing doing dorsiflexion, is that passive? I mean, you're still working eccentrically. You can't help but but control mm-hmm. that a little bit. So like we just have these like kind of arbitrary definitions here. And, and I think if you're like a tendon or a muscle being pulled on, you're like, I don't know what's happening. I'm just being pulled on. I'm experiencing tension. <laughs> That's it. Totally. That's why we don't and really see a lot of difference between the different stretching modalities. I'm so glad that you brought that up because something that I've uh, seen you teach about before is that about how because muscles attach to tendons, tendons attach to bone, when muscles contract, they are attempting to shorten and that pulls on tendons. So that's like this tensile load that's 
that's lengthening them yeah. basically. And that's what happens in a contraction and also in strengthening. We don't tend to hear a lot of fear mongering about strength training, but when it comes yeah. to stretching, it's similar, right? Like stretching is also a pull on a tendon. It's also a tensile load. Yeah. So if you're in a, so you'll see people, so this is the idea. Someone will say, Oh, don't, don't stretch your Achilles tendon because it'll stretch it out and make it less stiff and elongate it. And they're like, Oh, you need a good, stiff, healthy tendon. And I said, that, that makes no sense to me. Like why stretching would elongate a tendon? Because what, what we know, it does in the short term, there's viscoelastic changes, it's heat, heats <laughs> up. And so it is less stiff in the sh- immediately after stretching. It's also less stiff if you just go for a run or do calf raises. If it warms up, it's going to be a little bit less stiff or plyometric training in the short term. So in the long term, if you load up an Achilles tendon with strength training, like doing heavy calf raises, in general, that tendon will become a little stiffer. Its mobility will be the same, but it's stiffer. It just takes more force to move it. So the load that's on the tendon is tension. You pull on that tendon and the tendon's like, oh my gosh, you're pulling on me. There's this stress. I better adapt over time to be stronger to handle this. But now if you do a passive stretch, like drop your heel over the edge of a stair, the tendon still feels pulling. It has no idea if it's a passive stretch or if you're actively contracting the calf muscle. All it knows is that it's experiencing tension. So the way that tendon responds to tension, if it's really heavy, is to get a little thicker and a little stiffer. So when you stretch a tendon, in the long term, it doesn't become less stiff. It doesn't really become stiffer because the load is probably isn't enough. It, 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 you need high loads to really make a tendon get, get stiffer. So that's what I mean by, te- by stretching is just kind of vanilla. It's just, oh, it's a little pulling. I can handle this. I don't need to adapt. I'm not going to elongate and I'm not going to get stiffer and I'm not going to get, it's less stiffer. It's whatever. It's like going for a walk. That's what I mean, I don't remember saying tying your shoes, but I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess must've been a little drunk. Uh, it was just like, you know what I mean? It's just like nothing. It's just not something that you should think about. I don't know why we worry about it. And we do it with hip capsules. I'm sorry. I'm going on a tangent here, but same thing. I no, see it in the good. yoga world. People are like, oh, no, no, don't do a hip flexor stretch because you'll stretch out your hip labrum or your shoulder labrum or that mm-hmm. really strong connective tissue. And I'm like, same thing, right? Um, if you tear a ligament in your ankle, the way we, the way we heal it is by loading it. You, it needs, it needs mm-hmm. stress on it to adapt. And the way ligaments in general, and we, we do need more research here. So, you know, take with, the, this, with a little bit of skepticism because this needs to be better tested. But in general... If you load up a ligament, it responds by getting thicker and, and a bit, a little bit stiffer. So that in an injured uh, ligament. So why would the hip capsule lengthen? It, it's, mm-hmm. it undergoes tension and it says, oh my God, you're stressing me. I have to get stronger and thicker. I would say it can lengthen if you actually damage it. So if you like, like, sure. Mm, that like damage like decreases stiffness. Yeah. High something. Force. Yeah. You see it in baseball pit players in their elbow, like that ligament will get a little less stiff, but in the back of their shoulder where they're decelerating it and it's stretching every time they throw that, that, that ligament in the shoulder and the, the posterior capsule gets thicker. So uh, there is a, a, a research technique. You guys pro- probably know Andrew Vygotsky. He does some of this with shear wave elastography and that, and maybe you can do this with your research, Travis. Uh, you can measure actually the stiffness of a ligament. I've looked for it. No one's done it. But I, I'd like to see if like a stretching program of the ankle ligaments where you go into uh, inversion, like you're trying to sprain it 
over the mm-hmm. long term if it actually makes them stiffer. So it can be tested, just no one has done what? it. Yeah. And That'd could cool. help like wow, like post ankle sprain or potentially help be protective against an ankle sprain. So maybe I, I, if you have a post ankle sprain, I load people up into the injury mechanism all the time. I want to I want to stress that tissue tissue. If you tear your hamstring, what do we do? We load up the hamstring. You protect mm-hmm. it and load it so it adapts. So the same thing with the ligament sprain. And it's funny, I just that people are doing that now. Like you're you're going to see more research on that. I just saw some master class and I was like, "Oh, good. Vindication." <laughs> he wow. he's great. He's just like me. And <laughs> that's so biased. I'm so that's so bad. You know, I make those jokes like this is a great research paper because I it agrees with what I say. Sorry, that's that's bad science. <laughs> but easy to do. Yeah, we all do it. Well, thank you so much for God, you like dove right yeah. into it. Some of those were yeah, some of the questions already. No, no, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> These were some of the questions we didn't want to ask you. But um, yeah, I mean, you basically already kind of myth busted this, but I do feel like just kind of in the casual layperson's idea, we sometimes just tend to think because stretching is pulling on things that that's just inevitably and actually going to make things longer and lax inside of us. You know, like yeah. like a t-shirt, like you pull on a t-shirt throughout the yep. day or whatever, and it becomes loose. People think that's what's happening to the their tissues when they stretch. I think that's part of what's informing some of the fear yeah. of about stretching. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. you know what it's like? It's like that happens in the short term. If you stretch in the short term mm-hmm. for the next half an hour, hour, you, you will have more mobility and you'll be less stiff. Right. But don't assume that that happens in the long term because that was say, if you do a strength training workout at the end of the workout, are you tired? And you, you have, does your force production decrease? Absolutely. Yes. But no one would say strength training makes you weaker in the long term. <laughs> oh right. But mm-hmm. we do. That's stretching. such a good analogy. You're like you're oh you're looser. Oh, in the long term, you, that's that's that'll cause a decrease in stiffness. Or like the same thing with uh, when people denigrate uh, uh, stre- passive stretching because it decreases the ability to produce force a little bit in the short term. You know, like power mm-hmm. and strength decreases maybe three percent. Although if you look at Anthony Blazevich's research, he would say if that stretching is within a good warm up, those negative effects are 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 gone. But anyways, like the, again, so just because you have a short-term change in force production doesn't mean it's going to make you weaker in the long term. That's what, that's what we do. We, we jump on inappropriate research and make the bat, long, stronger conclusions than we should. We shouldn't do that. So, <laughs> and such a good distinction. I think that people often don't appreciate that difference between uh, acute effects and chronic effects or short, short term mm-hmm. versus long term, which Travis, you and yeah. I talked about just recently in that, that episode on yoga sequencing mm-hmm. and like sequencing within a yoga class for a peak pose within the class versus sequencing to build strength over time. And for those long term, more chronic adaptations, I think that distinction often isn't appreciated. It makes so much sense. That is partly why things can get confusing. Mm-hmm. 
So if we've, we've sort of set, talked about now what static stretching doesn't do. So, it, <laughs> you know, we have these uh, preconceived notions about the ill effects, but what does it do? Or... Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, it's actually really interesting. I should start with the stuff I don't know a lot about. Surprisingly, it can improve vascular health. That's one of the areas I want to look into. We, there's a number of research papers where somehow it helps with the vascular system, which is kind of neat. Um, That's very cool. And then what it does more in the mechanical world, it certainly increases mobility, right? So mm-hmm. you'll have static stretching, you know, do it every day, um, not even to the point of pain. I like that research where you don't have to beat the crap out of yourself. You just have to go to the point of first stretch sensation. That's what they call it, where you start to feel the pull, maybe a little bit beyond. Uh, and if you do that regularly, you'll have an increase in mobility, often 15 to 20%, depending on the joint. And then what it does, this is sort of the long-term debate, and this is where I was very anti-stretching 20 years ago, because people are saying, oh, if you stretch, it'll decrease the stiffness of the tissue, and then that will change your posture or something like that. And I didn't like the posture research. And then so Magnuson came out with a paper in 1998, and he said, well, stretching might, might increase, increase your mobility, but it won't change the stiffness of a joint. You guys have probably heard that idea where like that there's no structural change, but you can go farther. So the argument there is that's, that's a habituation argument where you just get comfortable being uncomfortable or you get comfortable at end range and then your body or you can handle the discomfort and you can just go farther. So that was Magnuson who started that. However... <laughs> Since then, a number of researchers have said, actually, there is some structural changes. It's just, it not, it's not just the nervous system. And then mm-hmm. what Blazevich has argued, again, he's a great researcher, and Marie Multibach, um, she's Norwegian. They have argued that uh, there might be some structural change in the muscle, or the muscle might um, have become a little less stiff, but the tendon doesn't. So what the tendon... <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to blow everyone away. This is, this is the coolest thing, and I, you're going to have to just look it up. There's something called hysteresis in a tendon, meaning like mm-hmm. as you load it, it stores energy, and when you unload it, like relaxing, it loses a bit of energy. So it, 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 And what stretching does is it changes the hysteresis of the tendon, meaning after long-term stretching, the tendon, this is so cool, doesn't lose as much energy it's more efficient in the unloading. Less energy is loss of heat. That's Kubo's research from like a decade ago. It's a fantastic, it's so neat. Yeah. So cool. So the tendon can like return more energy like in terms of recoil? That, I think, I think like that, but I don't know if people have, So like that's studied, the way they study that is you contract your calf muscle and then they measure the tendon length. And the harder you contract, the more the tendon will undergo stretch, like or strain. Oh, and then okay. when you re- and then so on the relaxing part, um, after long term stretching, it doesn't undergo as much strain. So it's a technically you would say it's a bit stiffer. And so they they're saying that's that's less energy loss. But what no one has done like that where it'd be interesting if you took a runner or someone jumping and bouncing and you gave them like a long term static stretching program. Would that correlate with less, um, like more efficiency? That's that's where the rubber meets the road. It might show up on a clinic on a lab test. I don't know if it shows up experimentally. I do know of some studies where people do do static stretching, like bodybuilders do it, and you'll see, 
improvements and strength gains. I just don't know. And, and it's greater in the group that stretches. So you do see some neat pragmatic research like that. Sorry, it, um, for me, at least the audio cut out just a little bit, but were you saying, were you talking about like interset stretching when you're talking about bodybuilders? Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I know the research is mixed. I, I don't know it off the back of my hand, but I have seen some studies where you'll see static stretching, increasing strength gains. I don't know the mechanism, but and I do know mm-hmm. of some other pragmatic studies where people static stretch for the long term and they measure sprinting and jumping and you'll see tiny changes in performance. Yeah. Right. Which is, like, just seems so counterintuitive. No, I know you won't see everyone. Not like I used to knock stretching and distance runners based on the small decreases in absolute force per- performance uh, in the short term. But in the long term, it's not like we have evidence that people who static stretch they decrease their efficiency. Although if you read a runner's word article, it will tell you that not to do it. But I, I, that's what I mean. People are blowing up the research and it's not there yet. When they do mm-hmm. test people and they have them sat a stretch and they measure running economy, it doesn't change running economy. So I don't know. <laughs> Is that partly kind of like why you said in your tweet, stretching doesn't necessarily do much? Like it's just... Exactly. In terms of all the negative things. Mm-hmm. If we just... If we just did it for what it was intended, which, which was to increase mobility. It's great, but we've shit on it for all of these other things that aren't supported. You know? Right. Like I wrote an, an article 10 years ago telling people to stop foam rolling their IT band. Like if you wanted to make it, you know, uh, longer or whatever. And people are still like on Instagram doing these posts, pretending like they have this advanced knowledge, like the IT band doesn't stretch. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't permanently elongate, right, with stretching or, or foam rolling, but neither does any connective tissue. Like, there's no insight mm-hmm. there. Like, no connective tissue. Do we have any evidence that any connective tissue permanently elongates with foam rolling or static stretching? But temporarily, it certainly stretches. Like, the IT band, when you go into hip adduction or internal rotation, I think, and maybe some extension, uh, it will undergo strain meaning it stretches in the short term. And that's cool because it stores elastic energy and then it releases it. And that's how we ambulate. We're always storing and releasing elastic energy in our connective tissue and stretching won't make you less efficient. And that's what people say. It's bullshit. It won't make us more loosey goosey. You always hear people say that. Oh, don't stretch. You'll like, you know, lengthen your tissue. It's so bullshit. It's like, if you, it's like sitting in a chair for eight hours. No one's like, oh, your glutes are going to get all loose. No, we say the opposite. You know what I mean? Like we say the hip flexors will get tight. I'm like, what well, won't our glutes? Like, won't it make my squatting better if I sit in a chair all day? Because now I've loosened up my glute fascia. Like, we have such inconsistencies. Totally. Oh, inconsistency is all over the place. We're about three times 30 <laughs> seconds static, static, static stretch holds. <laughs> totally. As well as going to have this like huge negative or positive effect. Yeah. yeah. Three times that's, 30 that's seconds. That's what I meant. It's not, it's not no, worth worrying about. It's like worrying about the Krebs cycle, you know, it's like going to happen. It's just nothing. It's yeah. Physiological process, but who cares? It's just, that's what I meant. It's vanilla. Right. It's, van- yeah. I think that's, I think it's just such a, that's like a really powerful word to use too. Cause everybody kind of knows what that means. It's just, this is like harmless and maybe it has yeah. some, some positive ben- benefits. I love how you mentioned the potential vascular benefits. Um, yeah. And also stretching can have, down regulation of the nervous system benefit like de-stressing sure. could help um, build 
build a bigger cup if it's something that helps relax you and that you really enjoy doing. Yeah. And then the reason people denigrate and me too, this was me 20 years ago was there wasn't a, people, everyone was saying, you got to stretch, you got to stretch to prevent injuries. And the research said, no, that you don't have to, there's better things you could do. But here's the irony. When you look at some of the, oh, it's not, not ironic. I'm like Alanis Morissette. So here's the other point. <laughs> Her song does, <laughs> it is, is not ironic, but it's not ironic. The example she yeah, uses. She's, a, she's, a, she's apologized. <laughs> um, uh, if you, if you subcategorize your injuries and this is what Blazevich has done. Uh, I think David Bam, this research group, Malachi McHugh, they've, they've says, said, if you segregate the, the injuries into like uh, acute like muscle strains, like with sprinting or ballistic actions, pre-activity static stretching might have a, have a um, uh, injury preventive effect or injury reduction effect. It's, but it, pro- it won't help like mm-hmm. a distance runner, but, but it might help like a sprinting soccer player or something like that. So you have to like split up the injuries. It's not going to help an ankle sprain, but it might help a muscle tear. Right. Yeah. So if you, if you're just, um, as a broad category, talking about whether stretching can reduce injuries, just all injuries, then maybe not, maybe not so much, but if yeah. you talk about specific injuries, um, exactly. then yeah, that's hope for some certain specific types of sports that I feel like that'd be mind blowing for some people to realize because there's yeah, so that, much of that narrative out there. They've been writing it's those tricky. papers for years. It's tricky because yeah. the, the, the initial recommendation was, oh, you have to static stretch before you exercise. That's going to prevent injuries. And then when the research came out without segmenting the different injuries, it was like, oh no, that's nonsense. Static <laughs> stretching doesn't prevent injuries. So we're like, oh, we don't need to do it. But then yeah. some smart people were like, oh, well, maybe we should actually think what's the mechanism that this could occur through. And okay, it can't help. It's not going to prevent an ACL injury or yeah. an mm-hmm. ankle sprain, but maybe for these specific types of muscle injuries, it could have an effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah. One, one question that I think is really relevant for the yogis, like when, when, when we talk about static stretching in a strength and conditioning context, it is that three sets of 30 seconds. But when you're talking about, especially some styles of yoga, yin, I think yin is yoga. one of them where, mm-hmm. you, where you're spending, where you actually are spending really prolonged periods of time. I don't know, 10 minutes in a particular posture and then maybe an hour overall. Like if that's all you're doing and you're, it's not really an active flowing type class, is there any potential downside to that style of like physical practice? Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. We hope you could see why Travis and I admire Greg and his insights and critical thinking skills and his understanding of scientific research about the human body and movement. Travis and I bring these same values into our work together, including in our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering, which is a monthly program that teaches yogis how to strength train through full ranges of motion to complement their yoga practice. Travis and I are happy to offer you 30% off your first month in our program so that you can try it out. Read more info about our program and use code PODCAST30 when signing up on my website, JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now, back to our episode on stretching. 
But when you're talking about, especially some styles of yoga, yin, I think yin is yoga. one of them where, mm -hmm. you, where you're spending, where you actually are spending really prolonged periods of time. I don't know, 10 minutes in a particular posture and then maybe an hour overall. Like if that's all you're doing and you're, it's not really an active flowing type class, is there any potential downside to that style of like physical practice? I think what most people say, and they kind of change the topic a little here would be like the downside is opportunity cost, right? Right. There's, mm -hmm. there's diminishing returns. And so it's, and we see this everywhere. Like the tissue just stops listening after a while. So you don't need all that extra loading we see with bones, right? Like if you want to build bone density, yeah. it's just like 10, 10 hops, five times done twice a day. But you do more than that, it just stops listening. It's like right. run, runners don't have a lot of like extra bone density, even though they have all the impact. Because after five to 10 minutes, stop listening. And so the work at Keith Barr would say the same thing with ligaments and tendons. Like, so the prolonged stretching, if your goal is to cause like, you know, adaptations in the tissue or mobility, you probably are getting diminishing returns for that. But, but for the spiritual or the, you know, the mm -hmm. relaxation, but by all means, get, keep doing it. It's just what other health benefits aren't you getting? But you can say that about everything. It's like running. Running's not going to really make you stronger. You know what I mean? But people still will still mm -hmm. go and run two hours. Why would I shit on that person? But then people are like, oh, why do you do a hold a pose for 15 minutes? Well, why do you run for two hours? Because you want to. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally, it makes you happy. You run two hours, you, you could have got the same benefits unless you're competing for a marathon and running, you know, mm -hmm. half an hour, depending on, so we don't ever knock that. So we're always, yeah, yoga gets Gosh, really so uh, right. a bad rap sometimes. It's unfair. Like no one needs to squat 600 pounds, but people still do it. <laughs> but we admire that. Like that gets a lot of praise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so true. And that, um, thank you for talking about that, about like, I don't know if the right word is like, desensitizing to the load, but like ligaments and tendons, um, after not even very long time, they stop listening. And, and maybe it's just, um, there's kind of no point to going that long if your goal is the tissue adaptation. But yeah. like we said, there can be all these other reasons. Um, thank you for speaking. I think that uh, I hadn't, I didn't realize that. So, so like a dose response relationship might be that you don't like as with bone, um, bone building activities, we just want like kind of shorter spurts, maybe more frequently. Mm -hmm. High than... frequency. Yeah. But just to be clear, it sounds to me like you're suggesting that spending an hour in a yoga class where you're in um, one passive stretch for 10 minutes right. at a time, it sounds like you're saying you don't see that as inherently injurious or dangerous. No, I, I have, I have trouble. Like, so what, like, why are we afraid of end range? The loads are so yeah. low. You're not, you're not like impacting no one threw you from the roof into end range. <laughs> like, you know what I <laughs> what mean? You're just, hanging out. you're just hanging out there. Like, so what? Like, I don't get it. Why like, do people it, think the, the, they the think stress it's is so tiny. Bad. The stress is tiny. You're going to yeah. adapt to it. it. It sort of ties in with the whole, active range of motion versus passive range of motion thing where people are concerned about increasing their passive range of motion far beyond what they're act, what they can actively control. The so gap. Like a passive straight. Yeah. Passive straight leg raise versus an active straight leg raise. Yeah. The assumption there is that end range is injurious. And here's the, this is the neat thing about stretching. You don't, you guys know this, but you, 
people say, oh, you'll increase your passive range and then you can't control it during some functional task. The thing that's is, right. that's, that's the issue with stretching. It, it doesn't carry over to functional tasks. You have to actually learn to use that new range of motion. You won't, you, like it, we see this in runners. If you stretch your hip flexors, you know, every day for six weeks and then you, and you measure how someone runs, they won't have more hip extension. You know, Janice Morside did this right. study, not in runners, but in other things. And they increased hip extension on the table, but then they didn't use it when they did other tasks of daily living. So I don't know why people are worried about increasing their passive capabilities because it doesn't transfer into any active capabilities. And not that I would even be worried about going to end range anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess the idea is not that you would put yourself in it, but if some external force took you there, then you don't have any control over all of that extra range. Here's the thing though, you still, you still do because you're still strong. You, because remember, if we don't change the passive stiffness, there's still going to be the passive stiffness will increase. Remember, the stretching doesn't change passive stiffness. So you're still going to get that resistance to going to end range, both passively and actively. Your muscles aren't stupid. Right. You're going to have reflexive contractions. The stretch right? you don't. Yeah, potentially, yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't see the concern of like, of <laughs> A lot of people do see that. Think yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. So, so the, the, the counter action to all of that is, oh, we're not going to do any passive stretching in our yoga classes. We're going to make every pose active. So and we're going to mm -hmm. turn every passive stretch into some sort of contraction of an agonist or an antagonist. Um, and that's like this new wave of yoga, right? Um, yeah. And it's it, that there's nothing wrong with that person. Nope. It might not be necessary. That's it. It's just, it's just options. Right. I still think, um, you know, looking at the mechano transduction heavy, like going into end range and holding it there to me, it makes sense that it would make those tissues stronger and stiffer rather than loosier and goosier. I just don't, I don't see the mechanism of how they elongate and become, I think people get comfortable at that end range. I don't think it's really a big mechanical change. I think that, mm, that's like, the so change. Stretch I, tolerance, is that the term? Yeah, I think that seems to be the main thing. That's what they'll say. I, I think I think that long-term stretching rather than change, it maybe changes the muscle function a little bit, but that's not inherently bad. Um, I think people get comfortable and you, what, what the a yoga practice like that does, it allows you to access your potential rather than creating something new. That would be my guess. It allows you, you to access whatever. Yeah. It allows you to access whatever your structure is capable of doing rather than creating some new structure. Oh, whoa. To, to go. That would be my, my theory. So structurally you. Yeah, Sorry. there's something like, so I'll give it like my ankle dorsiflexion. When I feel a stretch, I always feel pinching in the front. That's mm -hmm. structural. Like that, I'm not going to wear down that bone. <laughs> right. And same with my hips. Some people with their hips, some people will have shallow uh, acetabulums and tiny little like head of their femurs, and they're going to have lots of mobility. Someone else won't have that. You're, so mm -hmm. when they improve their flexibility gains, it's because their structure allows them to, right? right. And then, oh, and, and their body allows them to. They have both. They have the, the structural potential, and then, and then their body says, I'm going to let you get there now. Like the nervous system a, creates the discomfort something. later. I don't something. know, but yeah, <laughs> something, the black box of, yeah, <laughs> whatever so, it is that holds them back. 
in the black box. So are you, are you suggesting that, um, like some, like a practice like yoga or passive stretching, we had these potential ranges of motion, potential ranges of motion available to us that we weren't accessing before. And that practice allows, allows us to get there. So it's like Mm -hmm. we were, but then you said rather than creating something new, so it, it doesn't create new ranges that our structure couldn't allow. Doesn't change. Yeah. It doesn't change the structure. Yeah, there's going to be a limit that everyone's going to have. That's why you shouldn't look over to the person beside you and be like, oh, I'll get there one day. Because you might never have that potential to get there. And that's why I think good yoga teachers recognize that everyone has different structures and then their limits are different. So you have to be flexible in in your uh, uh, choosing of poses or whatever the ideal is. Absolutely. Yeah, ideals are, I got issues with ideals, right? <laughs> it's, it's not totally. fair. Totally. Who is it based Ideal on? Ideal movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That makes, that makes so much sense. How, do you think there's a way, you mentioned like in dorsiflexion, you feel like a pinch in the front of your ankle and that kind of cues you to know that it's structural that's preventing you from going further. Is there a way you might recommend to people how to sense whether it is their structure limiting them? Maybe they don't need to keep oh, hammering oh. into that or whether there's potential to go further. I think you can still hammer into that. I think you can habituate, mm. you might get a little bit more. Uh, there's nothing wrong with pinching. I don't know why. Would People would say that it, the that's the closing angle pain. Sorry. So what? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it, there's a difference between a pain that's sensation right, that... maybe, and uh, th- this feels like a bony block, but it's not painful. But Greg, you're saying maybe either yeah. way, it's fine. So, so I do back handsprings or try to, and I get, I was just doing not hands, but I was getting used to it last night where I was loading up my wrist into, you know, um, extension and I'm not going to get much more mobility. Cause again, I get the pinching with that, but I can get comfortable with that pinching. That's what wow. I'm trying to do. That's, that's, that's the idea. And I still also wear wrist guards because that's not, I know I have a limit and it's just, I, I don't want to exceed it, but it, I, I like to do both. So I, I, I protect a little and I expose and then ex- the exposure just pushes the number of back handsprings I can do before I have to wear my wrist guards. So nice. same idea with any yoga practice. You kind of habituate to, to that end range. That's the idea. And at some point I don't habituate and I sensitize and I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> so then I just, I just back off and wear my wrist guards more. That's the, that's it. Expose, protect, habituate, sensitize. You know, it's always a balance. You're going to flare up and mess up sometimes. Work around it. It'll, it'll be fine. Right, right. No need to, like, make a huge um, anxiety deal about it. Yeah, it Depends, totally. but yeah, yeah, movement optimism. Totally. Uh, so, what, so one question that would come to mind regarding all of this is if the idea – is the would is the idea that spending time in end range isn't necessarily inherently injurious or worrisome? Would you say that there is potentially an exception if someone has uh, a sy- systemic connective tissue disorder? Yeah, I think like, about that a lot, and I I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's the same idea. Like I'd have to know. I think their collagen. Well, yes, it might be looser and more lax. I still think that we should load it. Like I just and stretching loads it. That's a load. Yeah, that's the idea. And yes, do strength training, but uh, and it's different. Sometimes they can get joint dislocations. That's fine. We would respect that and back off. But I still think that they respond well to load. And you'll see it. Like how many yoga practitioners actually have uh, connective tissue disorders and are 
hyperflexible and they're doing great, right? So it's not inherently, a, yeah, a strong stop. It's like anything, you know, if you feel good, keep going for it, be confident with it, you know, and I would also advocate Absolutely. strength training and all that stuff too. If joints are popping out, but if it feels fine. <laughs> I heard you say uh, on the NAF Physio podcast, your guys' great episode about uh, where you interviewed Kara. the woman about her. Yeah, yeah that, who had Ehlers-Danlos right. Syndrome. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you, I feel like I remember that you were talking about things like um, hypermobile joints and the ability to go further than, quote, normal ranges of motion when someone has uh, connective tissue disorder like that. It's not necessarily that that in and of itself is the problem. You use this great term um, epiphenomenon that it that like the hypermobility yeah. is an epiphenomenon of the greater systemic uh, yeah. issue going on there. Yeah, when people have pain, like it's not the hypermobility that potentially predisposes to pain; it's the sensitivity of the system, right? So when you have mm -hmm. connective tissue disorder, there's often more anxiety and psychosocial stressors. We're not, not sure why you could have like a more upset stomach or sensitivity to lights or migraines. So it's like they both are, it's, it's all the pain and all that stuff is parallel with the increased range of motion. It's not that the increased mm -hmm. range of motion mm -hmm. comes before the pain, they go together. And so that's what an epiphenomenon is, right? It's correlated, but it's not what's driving the pain or discomfort. It's all these other factors. They're both side effects. Pain, hypermobility is a side effect of something else. That makes so much sense. And I think because the hypermobility is something that we can see with our eyes and it gets mm -hmm. associated with the, um, just the general fear mongering in general about end range, I think it, people pull it out and kind of make it this target or an or inherent problem. But it yeah. sounds like you're saying it's a side effect among many other side effects of this more systemic issue or condition going on and so it's not necessarily inherently injurious to embody those positions your body can go there and perhaps it could be helpful to load in those positions yeah yeah i mean of course if it hurts sometimes you have to make that call is it worth backing off or is it something i can get like i can habituate to which is always the clinical challenge for everyone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and right. certainly and with all my patients it's Go, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I sorry. Um, I think I was just going to say that in in general, it's it's always still not always, but for people with with these types of disorders, it can still be a great idea to strength train and load with more load. Yeah, uh, But it's just not necessarily that stretching is inherently a bad thing that we need to point our yeah. finger at. Especially if they love it. That's right. The thing. I'm not going to take. I'm not going to take that away from someone. Oh gosh, how dare you stretch? You feel great stretching. Oh no you're going to pay for it later or you're causing damage to your joints and you don't know it. Like the body isn't that stupid. They love doing it. Keep doing it. Gosh. I was like, right. Oh, that's my one stress reliever, but I don't want to rip my labrum out or some bullshit that someone's told them, but I love it. Oh, okay. That, that's <laughs> kind of like you, you call those their meaningful activities, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the, the umbrella word that you use for, for anybody who's getting, experiencing pain doing anything it's like we want to get you back to your meaningful activities or or you even say let's resume your meaningful activities right away right yeah let's you, do it today when they're causing pain yeah oh that's... sometimes it's the right thing totally and it seems so important to identify and know what those activities are and probably only in certain it's maybe... handstands it's always handstands 
everyone. So that's what I'm working at on handstand, today. Handstands. <laughs> Travis and I wrote this article about end range training and some of the the um, claims about it out there, and the active versus passive range of motion, and the and the gap, and the the fears about if you passively stretch and you increase the range over which you can't control, then you predispose yourself to injury. And along with those types of claims comes these ideas of movement prerequisites. I don't know if you've heard of these, Greg, or yeah. have, but handstand has like a perfect one, which is wrist extension. And there's this idea that you're like not allowed or you haven't earned the right to do a handstand unless you can. There you go. Unless you, so maybe maybe you could passively get to 90. And we all know it's obvious. Obviously, you do need passive 90 degrees oh to God. do a handstand. Or oh, I, I think don't that's have pretty active, obvious. that's for sure. But if you don't have it actively, like if actively you only go to there, but you could still passively go to there, you would be forbidden to doing handstand until actively you can actively maintain 90. Do you oh, know about wow. that? Like that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a bit dodge. No, I've heard of those things. You see it in running. Yeah. Like if you're going to trail run more than 10 miles, you need to be able to do 50 push-ups. <laughs> like what? what? <laughs> yeah, that's one. If you only run 5 in a road, you only need to push up from your knees. Like... Because the core, it's a test of the core. It's silly. Uh, well, it's so I would never good, be able to do it. Not even a good test of the core. So. Oh, I know. That, that's I know. Yeah, that is silly. No, I. Yeah, I. I mean, I, I believe in some prerequisites. It just has to be mm -hmm. logical, right? Like mm -hmm. I kept. Um, I kept. You guys know I kept tearing my abs doing backflips, mm -hmm. and so the prerequisite because the backflip was just on the ground was just too far beyond the current strength of my abs. Sure. So I had to break it down and go do sit-ups and leg raises and hanging leg raises. Yeah. So th there are probably some that are relevant, right? But you got you to gotta make a, str a strong case for it. Yeah, yeah that one's it, weird, well, the active. Yeah. I that get that, that makes one. sense with the, the backflip. Well, from, from the standpoint of you've actually injured yourself, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what was your limiting factor that was preventing you or, or, you know, leading to this that you could work on to prevent future episodes of that injury but to say like oh you don't have this therefore 90 degrees of uh active wrist extension therefore you're gonna hurt yourself like we can't say that at all yeah i so that's that's interesting see i would use handstand variations to build up it's a freaking stretch right <laughs> exactly it's, you're, there's no difference than from me stretching here compared to me stretching in a handstand it's still a passive stretch that's so yeah, true so, yeah i I used to improve my hand that my wrist flexibility by doing a handstand with my feet, my hands really far away from the wall. And I would mm -hmm. be more of a back bridge. Oh, I'd be cranking oh. on my shoulders and my back and my wrist. That was part of my warm up for back handsprings. I would use handstands to be like really get into end range at shoulder wrist and spine. If you saw, you'd be like, are you sure I had end range? I'm at my end range. <laughs> Screw you. But <laughs> that's, that sounds like a, uh, I identify yeah. with that as well. Yeah. Okay. It's really funny. But yeah, I mean, it seems to me like you would, if anything, you would help pro potentially prevent or reduce the risk of injury in handstand by, by just loading into handstand and doing handstand regularly over time and prep poses for handstand, but well, not necessarily pulling someone out of the whole pose. Well, here's the thing. When, when you do a handstand, your wrists are still working actively. It's not even that passive. Good the muscles are working a shit ton. Like you can't like, you're trying thing. to stay upright and those are no the muscles one, that are doing it. Yeah. No one like roofed you and put you into the handstand position. Like it's not really passive. Like you're not knocked out. 
like with an anesthetic. So that is such you know a, what I mean? Yeah, because like your wrist flexors, accessors are. Yeah. Gosh, but people, it just, I think we get these like black and white ideas, like passive, active, mm-hmm. like they're, they're mutually exclusive and it's always one or the other, just as with so many other ways that we have these binary divisions and labels for the body. Like active wrist extension, that's just a motor skill. Like that, like, like why would, or it means you have really strong wrist extensors. It doesn't tell you anything about the, I mean, it tells you a little bit wow. about the mobility on the other side, but it just, you could just have really good skill. Like it's just, to me, it's, it's, so I bet true. you could train someone in a day to get more just because they get better at the mm-hmm. position. So did you really change some structure or anything? You know, Gosh. I don't get it. You're just better at it. I don't get it either. Yeah. Nope, I'm glad either. we questioned it and, and wrote that piece. We'll put the, have to put that piece in the, in the show notes, but thank you so much for helping, helping, um, yeah, support, support that. So <laughs> I actually, I kind of feel like we've covered just about all the questions that we have. I want to ask one more thing. Um, yeah. I'm sure you remember the paper from 2020 about oh, yeah. retiring all of flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this one made it. I, you already James, know what I was going to say. James Newsel, yeah. 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 Retiring yeah. flexibility as a major component of physical fitness. Do you, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, <laughs> that's the idea because we, we've elevated it, right? You, we elevated uh-huh. it to something. It was a top tenner. Yeah. 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 Like you had, like, as soon as someone says, oh, you have to have this, that's where it's dodging. Right. So, so yeah, I anything. do, like, yeah, that, that's, that, that take was nothing new. Like we've been writing that for 20 years, but again, that doesn't mean don't do it or it's so detrimental. Yeah. That, that just so needed you, a you, counterpoint. You neither, not, ne- neither everyone needs to do it nor no one yeah. To do it. I don't know if I it, made those negative. I, you know what I mean? It's vanilla. It's vanilla. That that's yeah. it. It's a personal choice, right? But like you, what, it's just, it's just not a massive determinant of health, right? If you had, if you, if you had to spend your time on health, like what will help the most people be healthy and have a longevity and be healthy when they're older, it probably wouldn't be flexibility training. I would, I would, I would guess that that would be the idea. Although I don't know, once you, once you, I actually find it flexibility training hard. So, you know, it's, a it's odd. I think what, what James is confusing there is mobility as being a, a, a related to future health, but the act of flex of training for mobility might actually be beneficial because it's going to do more than just make you more flexible. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like a yoga, pra- like is a yoga practice just, that mean don't retire i think you get more from a yoga practice than just mobility 100 percent. Right? so i don't yeah you got to be careful there it's like strength training is great as well but it, it's not necessarily great because it makes you stronger it has other health benefits mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with the ability to produce force right so the mm-hmm. same thing with flexibility training so you just have to be cautious like and i do too of like saying oh no you don't need to, to stretch but i'm like yeah but it gives you lots of benefits there so Maybe it is. Oh God! Now I'm just backing off. Maybe it is more than just vanilla. I just trust it. <laughs> just Maybe it's like you know kale what I mean? or something. I, I I love when you disagree with yourself, Greg. <laughs> it's just a disaster. Uh, what, one other. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, be careful of like judging something on the outcome you think is important, because there's other Ooh, effects yeah. that occur. That's why pragmatic research is is important. 
I'd love to see, like you see this in kneecap pain. People are like, oh, you got to strength train for the knee pain. There's a few studies that the control group is stretching and the other group is strengthening the hip and there's no difference in kneecap pain. You're like, what the hell? Even if their range of motion doesn't change. So it does something else. That's what you have to be careful Mm -hmm. about. Like we too readily shit on something because it doesn't achieve the desired target, but we don't know really what the important desired target is for a number of things. When when that desired target is increased range of motion flexibility there i'm sure you saw there was a preprint i don't know if it came out yeah actually mm. yet but the mm-hmm. one showing that there was no difference i, I forget exactly the way the wording was because yeah it wasn't that strength training was better at improving flexibility than mm-hmm. static stretching but it was as good something like that yeah um, i don't you got to look at the individual papers in there yeah I, I yeah i had some issues with some of that with some of the individual papers and you know, like, yeah, I don't know about that. I think if you yeah. you have to strength train full range, that would help mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. that's stretching. But then it's stretch, right? It's just a loaded stretch. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's con- it's a convenient citation for us. Can we can because we can be like, well, you can just strength train, and then you yeah. you know mm-hmm. that's just as good for flexibility. But like you said, it it's tough when you do a meta analysis in that way yeah. where you're yeah. combining papers that don't necessarily have business being combined. Yeah, I swear they compared like ankle dorsiflexion stretches with doing eccentric calf raises. <laughs> like, well, an eccentric calf raise, some people would call that an ankle stretch. You know what I mean? Like that's right. not fair. <laughs> or, or like a Jefferson curl for hamstring uh, training. Is that a stretch or is that a strength training exercise? It's both. Yeah, mm-hmm. so anyways, I be, I, I'm cautious. I. I read that whole thing and went, eh, I don't know. <laughs> gotcha. I, think, I mean, that that speaks to like the, the bigger picture of the research tr- trying to, and we've alluded to this, like trying to draw out practical applications of the research when the research is done in a way that isn't necessarily how mm-hmm. the stretching is applied in practice. Like for yeah. you take a, tw- you hold a 20 minute stretch and then you show five minutes later that your strength is decreased or your power is decreased. And it's like, but we only hold it for 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you don't have to worry. So that exactly tough. Yep. Yeah. And that Blazevich, that group, they've been banging that drum forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Got to read their stuff. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Applying what they do in the lab to what we actually do, like what we see on a day to day basis. Uh-huh. We need, we need pragmatic research. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Uh, well, I feel like with all of that, we've done a very thorough covering of this excellent topic. And um, once again, Travis and I are so thankful and honored that you came on our podcast with us, Greg. Thank you so much oh. for oh, my sharing all of your insights. Yeah. Uh, would you... Where can our listeners find out more about you and learn from you? Because you have so much to teach and offer. Um, my website's just my name, greglayman.ca, and that's where I am on Twitter. That's normally the only two places I am. A little bit Instagram. You're a that's little on it, yeah. That's your skateboarding trampoline. and uh, gymnastics <laughs> accidents. It is. And, and it is successes. My, my narcissism platform. I feel like... <laughs> Everybody has like, to have one. Yeah. The content you put on Instagram to me seems like uh, it really shows you kind of um, building a bigger cup. Like it kind of, seems like it's kind of about that. And then like your Twitter yeah. is like um, research and debate and vitriol. Like, yeah. 
I like falling off both. And, and, and drunken tweets that lead to podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and also uh, just a plug for your Recovery Strategies Pain Workbook. That's this free, oh, yeah. uh, amazing workbook that you wrote that's on your website. Anyone can download it. It's excellent for anyone in pain or not in pain who just wants to learn more about how pain works. Yeah. But that's like a great contribution that you... And you're also Five on stars. YouTube. You're on YouTube. Don't forget to say that. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing more of that, but oh, yeah. I want to... Your knee, OA, OA optimism. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. OA that's is osteoarthritis. Yeah. So lots, and we'll link to all of that in the show notes. And we really encourage everybody to go follow Greg and learn from him as Travis and I have. Um, yes. So thank okay. both of you so much. This has been excellent. I've learned a ton just to talking to you. And I hope, I know that our listeners will as well. So thank you for being here today, Greg. Again, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. And that wraps up our discussion on stretching in this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science. We hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we'd hugely appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to our podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. And remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program, and the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode.